Hi, this is Chris Kipp, lead pastor of Renaissance Church in Richmond, Texas. Thank you for streaming or downloading this podcast today. I hope this resource blesses you. If you haven't joined us at a worship gathering or at a house church yet, we want you to come. You can find all that information and more at rin-church.org. I pray that you are encouraged today by the proclamation of God's word. In the early 20s, a young man jumps into a lake with a young woman. And they must have dared each other to swim the width of the lake. Young ones, don't ever do that. It's a bad idea, okay? Because about halfway across the lake, they begin to lose all their energy. They're unable to swim anymore. And as his head is going under the water, about to succumb to the water, he prays the prayer, God, get me out of this and I'll do whatever you want. And just then, a boat comes by that he had not seen before and pulls him and the young lady out of the water to safety. And he must have forgotten his promise to God because about a week later, uh, this young man was arrested for drunkenness, by the way, in the middle of prohibition. Apparently he was a bootlegger too. He uh, got hauled off and as the policeman was hauling him off, he looked at him and said, son, do you like this life you're leading right now? And in his drunken state, he said, no, I hate it. Well, he sobered up, finding himself not in a a jail cell, but on a park bench. The police officer had had mercy on him and set him on a park bench to sober up. About a week after that, he was in a pool hall. Apparently, he was kind of a pool shark. And uh, he walks out to the pool hall, and he sees a church. And so he's like, you know. I should probably go. So he goes to the church and there are a bunch of young adults there and they're having a competition. They've broken them off into two teams and uh, they you know, put them on one of the teams and they give them 10 Bible verses and they say, whoever, whichever team memorizes the most Bible verses by heart at, their, at our next gathering, they'll win. And, and the losing team has to pay for the food for everybody. Well, this young man, it's not for love of the Bible, but really because he didn't want to pay for the food for everybody, goes home and he learns all 10 verses. In fact, he's the only person that learned all 10 verses out of the whole like youth group, okay? And, and he's, you know, wins and it was amazing. But there was a verse that he learned. It was John 6, 40. And it said, this is the will of my father that everyone who sees the son and believes in him will have eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day. And that phrase, eternal life, just haunted him until weeks later when he just said, God, if if that's real, I've got to have it because I hate my life. And this young man was saved. He was born again in Jesus. He uh, grew up in the age of uh, soul winning. I don't know if y'all heard that phrase, soul winning, to be a soul winner. Like it's kind of a old school kind of phrase. And then, you know, you got to be a soul winner. And so he grew up under the preaching of soul winning. And so he was all about soul winning. And uh, he heard somebody 
in a, you know, a preacher say this, emotion is no substitute for action. You like that, emotion is no substitute for action. So I can have all these great feelings about God and about soul winning, but if, if I don't do something, like that's, that's not a, a, a substitute. And so he wrote that in the front of his Bible. Emotion is no substitute for soul winning. And one day he's driving his Model T down this dirt road and he sees a young man on the side of the road walking. And so he pulls over and it's like, young man, would you like a ride? And the young man says yes and gets in and he, he comes into the, the car cursing. And the young man says, Jesus Christ, it's so hard to find a ride today. Well, this man's heart is grieved to hear the name of his Lord being you know, used in this way. And so he pulls over and he spends an hour sharing the gospel with this guy. And this guy receives Christ and he drops him off and he quotes Philippians 1.6. He says, he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. God bless you. And he drives away. About a year later, he's driving on the same road. He sees a man walking on the side of the road, pulls over and uh, the guy gets in and he comes in cursing. And the guy says, Jesus Christ, it's hard to find a ride today. And again, this man's heart is grieved to hear the, the Lord's name used in vain. And he begins to tell him the gospel. And the guy looks at him and goes, don't I know you from somewhere? And he looks over more closely. And he's like, oh yeah. And he realized this is the guy I led to Jesus about a year ago. And something happened. And he would add a phrase to his Bible. Emotion is no substitute for action but action is no substitute for production, production. Today, I'm continuing our series called Walk, Grow, Live. And in this series, we're just kind of talking about this, these kind of values that we hold, this, this core purpose for every person that we were all created by God to walk with him and to grow in community and to live on mission. And I want to talk specifically about made to multiply. That as believers in Christ, we were made to multiply. I've felt kind of bad for you guys because the last week I used about 40 plus verses of scripture. I know that was a lot of reading for you. And so I'm gonna go a little easy on you today. And I have two verses, okay? So the first one is in Acts chapter nine. If you wanna open up a Bible and go there, if you have an app that you use to read the Bible, you can go to Acts chapter nine and we're gonna look at verse 31. And it's a verse about the church. And there's something special in this verse that I wanna kind of bring out for us and talk about today. Acts 9, uh, verse 31. And here's what it says. So the church throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and was strengthened, living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers. Increased in numbers. I'll give you a little bit of context of what's happened here. So Saul 
was the persecutor of the early church, and he was going from house to house and dragging believers out of their homes and arresting them or having them beaten, right? Because he's trying to stamp out this Jesus thing, this Jesus sect that is emerging in this uh, Jewish world. But Saul, not only does he stop persecuting them, he has the whole Damascus Road experience. And he's actually following Jesus and he is preaching Jesus. And so their, their, their greatest enemy has now become their greatest ally, right? And, and so the church is encouraged. They're seeing like, wow, literally God can save anyone. And, and they're, they're encouraged. It says they were encouraged by the Holy Spirit. They are strengthened and they're living in the fear of the Lord and increasing in number. Now, that, that word church, just so you know, simply means ecclesia. It, it's the assembly. It's the gathering of believers. And that would have been gatherings all over the place. This, the church wasn't like one church. It was like hundreds of churches all spread around this entire region that Saul had been ravaging. And now they are grateful, right? They're no longer threatened. Here's the thing. It's like those people who were walking with God are growing in community. They're, they're being strengthened. They're being edified. They're being built. It, it says that they're walking in the fear of the Lord. And not, that's not a fear of final judgment or, or hell or, or condemnation. First John 4 says that if you're in Christ, you don't have to worry about that anymore because that has to do with punishment and, and the perfect love cast out fear, right? It's what we talked about, what we sing about. My fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love. It, it casts out fear, but it's this deep devotion, Oh, it's reverence. It's like this awareness of the reality of God where your heart's just like, oh, the fear of the Lord. And so there's this, this synergy of walking with God and growing in community, and then it's spilling out, and they're increasing in numbers. They're, they're living on Mission and, and your, if you have the ESV, the extra spiritual version, right? Your, your translation might uh, actually say this they multiplied. They multiplied. The first thing that I want us to understand is this every believer was made to multiply. Every believer was made to multiply. Okay, multiplication happens when reproducing things reproduce reproducing things. It's, it's your family tree, right? Mom and dad had you, and maybe you have some children, and maybe they'll have some children, right? And so it's just like this family tree when a, a reproducing thing reproduces reproducing things. And there's an, an incredible illustration. You've probably heard about this before. It was based on an old fable about rice on a chessboard. I think I have a, a picture of this, a picture of multiplication. On a chessboard, there are 64 squares, Okay, and if you were to take one grain of rice in the first square and you would just double it every time, every time, do you know how many grains of rice would be on the 64th square? I mean, just, just imagine a number 
of how many you think, if it doubled every time, how many do you think would be on that 64th square? Well, if you can go to the next slide, here's the number. It is 9.23 quintillion. Really? Like, I'm not making that up. This, it's 9.23 quintillion. That would be enough rice to cover India 50 feet deep. Albert Einstein said that compounding interest is the eighth wonder of the world. Meaning this is, like this idea of multiplication is so powerful. Think about the early church. When Jesus ascends, there's, there's a few hundred of them. And by, you know, 300 years later, there are tens of millions of Christians. How? They multiply. How is it that the church in China, whenever the, the, the curtain came down, right, the, the cultural revolution happens and communism stamps out all the Christian work and the pastors are imprisoned, right, or, or exiled, and, and now what's happened? It's, it's on track to become the, the largest Christian nation on the planet, more Christian than America, more Christians in China than America. They're on their way. How? They multiplied. It's powerful. All across the world, there are 2.7 billion Christians on planet Earth out of the 7.8 billion people, whatever it is now. That's amazing because it's multiplying in every believer was made to multiply it. At Renaissance, our, our desire is that we would multiply disciples, that each one of us, a reproducing thing, would reproduce a reproducing thing, that, that we would multiply house churches or small groups, and that we would multiply churches, that we want to be a church that plants other churches, like that, that you know, have other leaders that go and they go into a place and they, they do this and they, they see people come to know Jesus and they grow this amazing church just like we are today. Our mission says that we exist to glorify God and to make disciples in our house church definition, it's a set of relationships that gather regularly in a home or a smaller setting for the purpose of reaching not yet believers, building true community, becoming more like Christ with the goal of duplicating itself so that more people can belong. I train our leaders that the, the bad word is the S word. And it's not the word you're thinking of right now. It's split. We don't split groups, we multiply groups. Jordan, who's not with us, he, he loves to say, we're, we're so excited to split our group because he just knows it just really bothers me, okay? Because we don't split things in the church. Churches don't split. That's a bad word in the church, right? We multiply, right? We want to multiply. Multiply disciples, multiply house churches, multiply groups. It's our, it's our vision. And you might be thinking like, every believer? Really? Well, Look at the created world. The very first thing that God does with the man and the woman is he blesses them and he says this, be fruitful and multiply. And all the married people said, 
That was weak, guys. I'm going to do a whole like series on love and marriage soon. Just we can just fire that up, man. All the married people said, Amen. Amen. Praise God for that, right? It's good. He made us to do it. Beautiful. The creative world. Everybody was made to multiply. Everybody's given a reproductive capability. And if I were to walk into the, the nicest, wealthiest neighborhood in Houston, Texas, I bet you I could find a mom and a dad who have a prized child, and they would be so proud of that baby, and they could show me some books and some pictures and talk about what they're into and what they're like, right? And, and, and we would love that. And I guarantee you, if I were to walk into the poorest project in Houston, Texas, I'm going to find a mom and a dad, and they're going to they're talk about their baby. They're going to be so proud of that little child, and they might have their own picture books and all those kinds of things, because God did not restrict who gets to multiply. He gives it to every single person made to multiply you know the story of the Bible that after the blessing of the man and the woman, sin comes into the story, right? They rebel against God, and now uh, they're, they're having children that are physically alive and in the image of God, but spiritually they are separated from God. They, they are filled with a sin nature, and they cannot represent his image spiritually. But God has a plan he makes a covenant with Abraham that has to do with his offspring blessing the world. And he reaffirms that covenant with Isaac and Jacob. Jesus comes along, right? Fulfills the, the covenant and he goes to people and he gives them the ability through faith in him to spiritually represent, to bear the image of the father again. And he blesses his disciples and basically says, be fruitful and multiply. Go, make disciples. I'll be with you. You'll receive power when the Spirit comes on you. You're going to be my witnesses. And he blesses them again. And he gives us a mandate, a commission for spiritual reproduction. And here's the thing. Every single one of you that believes in Jesus Christ has the, the seed inside of you, the word of God, a testimony. The spirit has sealed you according to the scriptures. You were made to multiply. So how did they do it? How did they multiply? Well, one more scripture. 2 Timothy 2, 2. Some of you might know this one by heart. If you don't, you can turn to it in your Bible. 2 Timothy 2, 2. This is interesting because this is the end of Paul's life. This is three decades after the ascension of Jesus, okay? And Paul is writing his last words. He's going to be beheaded soon after this. Okay, this is the last time he's writing. He knows time is short. He's talking to his protege, his disciple, the one that he's multiplied, and he's giving him some instructions. And he says this, what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, commit to faithful men, or your translation might say people, because that word is uh, 
anthropos, meaning it's, it's going to talk about men and women. The presence of many witnesses commit to faithful people who will be able to teach others also. And what's remarkable is that 30 years later, they're still running the same play that Jesus ran. Calling young men into his life, discipling them, sending them out so that they can disciple others who will disciple others. And it's the same play still happening. The second thing is this. Multiplication isn't rocket science. Multiplication isn't rocket science. As soon as you start talking about making disciples, most Christians are like, oh, not for me. That's for the church guys. That's for the seminary grads. That's for the, you know, super Christians, Jesus Jr. over there, but not for me, okay? Right? That's how most Christians think about the term discipleship. Let someone else do that. Well, here's the thing. It's not rocket science, and that's such good news for us. You know, children are still made the same way that Adam and Eve made them all those years ago. Did you know that? If you're wondering what causes that, we can talk later, okay? Still made the same way. And the same is true for spiritual multiplication. It is the same thing. It's the same thing that Jesus did. Now, notice in the passage, there's four generations, and Paul envisions a family tree as he's telling Timothy what to do. He, he says, what you've heard from me, Paul, I want you, Timothy, so disciple maker, discipler, to, um, to commit to faithful people. There's a third generation who will be able to teach others also. There's a fourth generation out there. And that's what... Paul gives him a vision of generations. Just as in the natural, as we think about multiplication, we think of generations of people. And he uses the word commit. Commit. He doesn't say, you know, pick them up off the side of the road, share the gospel with them, and say, he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion to the day of Christ Jesus. He says, I want you to commit it to them. It's, it has an idea of entrusting something or depositing something to commit the keeping of, or, or that word would also be used of to set before people a meal. Like you're, you're going to prepare something for them that they're going to bring into their life. And he's saying, look, there's this message that, that you've heard from me. I, I want you to commit it to them. I want you to set it before them in such a way that they're actually going to get it down, not just into their ears, but into their hearts, into their life. Commit it to them. And see, it's, it's not complicated, but it does require commitment. How did Jesus do it? If it's the same play that he's been running from the beginning, how did Jesus make disciples? Well, he takes these young men and he prays and he fasts and he calls them to be his disciples and he welcomes them 
into his life. They walk with him. They talk with him. He explains things. They have questions. They ask him. Right? He includes them. Hey, hey, I want you to do this. Hey, I, I'm going to send you out. I want you to go talk about this. Right? And he's including them in the work of ministry. So it's, it's very experiential. And I think that in our Western ideas of education, we always think about knowledge transfer. Right? We think of classrooms and sitting and, and I'm going to sit, I'm going to pay money at a college and I will sit in the classroom and they will, they will present knowledge and I'm going to absorb that knowledge into my mind and then I'll go get a job and do something, right? Hopefully pay off my loans. But this type of, of education was experiential. They're brought into his life. He's committing to them. He's committing something to them. He's entrusting it to them. He's bringing it down into their hearts. Uh, the man who mentored me, he, um, he said this, discipleship is spelled T-I-M-E S-P-E-N-T time spent. Discipleship is spelled time spent spent. There's another phrase in here that I, I want us to see, and it's, it, it leads to the third point. He, he says that they're to be faithful people. Faithful people. So the third thing that I think we need to see is that multiplication results from committing the right things to the right people. You know, you, you can commit the right things to the wrong people. I've done it before. You probably have too. Jesus said, don't throw your pearls before pigs, right? They're not ready. They're, they're, they're not of the same heart. They're, they're not prepared. They're not faithful. Or um, you can commit the wrong things to the right people. He, he told the Pharisees and scribes, he says, woe to you. You, you will cross land and sea to make one convert. And when you do, you make him twice a son of hell as you are. Woe to you. Meaning, there's some things that Jesus does not like multiplying, okay? I remember in, in college ministry, I served at Texas State University for about 12 years in a college ministry. And I would see these young, handsome, studly men walk in the door of that, that teaching theater, and I'd be like, yeah, okay, this one here, like, he's going to do some stuff. Like, he's going to, he's going to, change this whole campus and all his friends are going to come to Jesus. And so I'm just like, you know, I'm getting to know this guy and I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to invest in him. I'm going to take him out to coffee and talk about the Lord and how to follow him. And, and finally, this other guy who was on staff, he was so good at making disciples. And, and he was like, you know, it was just amazing. And, and I would say, man, how do you do that? We well, said this, he goes, look, you're, you're the kind of person that sees so much potential. But these guys, they don't even know what they want to follow Jesus. So you're pouring all this into them, and you don't even know, like, are they faithful? You can, you can commit the right things to the wrong people. And he used a phrase, and here's what he said. You've got to run with the runners. You've got to run with the runners. 
Find the ones that are running, that just need somebody to help them along, and you need to run with them. And that phrase has stuck with me. And I'm just curious, are you a runner? Are you faithful? Christian, who are you pouring your life into? Men, who's the man that you're helping along? Ladies, who's the, who's the woman that, that you're helping along in their faith? Where's, the, where's that boy that you're pouring into or that, that girl that you're pouring into? Because action is no substitute for production. And Paul says, who will be able to teach others also. And uh, this young man that jumped in the lake and gave his life to Jesus, his name was Dawson Trotman. And Dawson Trotman started an organization called The Navigators. Have you ever heard of that before, The Navigators? Yeah. And all he did was just teach people the scripture, how to obey the Lord, basic apologetics, and how to share their faith with others. And when the ships were being sunk in Pearl Harbor, on those ships were men that Dawson Trotman had been discipling, and they were winning other sailors to Jesus on these ships. In fact, at one point, there were like a, a thousand U.S. ships that had these navigators on them that were winning people to Christ in, in the holes of these Ships. And so when those ships went down, souls went up into eternity because somebody multiplied themselves into someone else. Dawson Trotman once said, you haven't made a disciple until your disciple makes a disciple. See, every apple has in it the seed for an entire forest of apples. We have to commit the right things to the right people. So if every believer was made to multiply, which I believe is absolutely true, if multiplication isn't rocket science, and if it simply results from committing the right things to the right people, then what would stop you from multiplying? What would stop you? Who is following Christ now because of your life? Do you have any names? Is it okay if I switch to a different microphone? I feel like this one's acting crazy. Dawson Trotman gives this message called Born to Reproduce in 1955. And it's so cool. You can go on YouTube and you can find this. It's called Born to Reproduce and you can listen to it. And it's the, our technology that we can go back and just listen to something recorded in 1955 is just amazing. And he talked about what would stop us. Now, in the natural, there are things that prevent us from reproducing, right? One would be immaturity, right? There's a certain time when a person is able, physically, and able to care for, right? To work and have a job and provide for a child. There's, there's a certain time that is right for a person to reproduce when there is maturity, so one would be immaturity. The, 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 the second reason is that there's no union. There's no marriage, okay? By the way, you should have children inside of marriage, amen? Between a man and a woman, amen? Third, 
a sickness or impairment has prevented you from being able to reproduce. And he said, you know, it's, it's the same thing in the spiritual. That there's an immaturity in 1 Corinthians 3. Paul talks about a problem of immaturity. And he says that, I, I wish I could talk to you like spiritual people, but I can't because you're still worldly. And he says this, you're babies in Christ. You're babies in Christ. And the reason why is that they were envious of one another. And there was strife and there was division. He says, look, you're, you're infants. You're not mature. And Hebrews 5, he's, there's a, we're not exactly sure who wrote Hebrews, but it says that they ought to be teachers by now, but they still need someone to teach them the basics. They're, they need milk, not meat. And it calls them infants. And it says they were lazy. And so there, there can be some immaturity in us that, that keeps us from being able to multiply. By the way, um, maturity doesn't necessarily mean time. There are people who are 50 years old acting like 20-year-olds. Amen? You might know some. <laughs> but there are also brand new believers that have such a purity and a sincerity and an obedience in their heart. It's like they've just, they've just jumped ahead because there's just this heart in them. And it's not about time. It's about heart. It's about purity and obedience. So immaturity. The second is there's no union with Christ, meaning there's, there's no um, deep devotion, no deep love in us for our Savior. It's, it's, it's all surface. We talked about that last week. We really need this union with Jesus. And the third is that there can be the sickness or impairment of sin in our lives. Right? It, it can be like the cancer that eats on us when there's pockets of just resistance or rebellion against God, when we're in darkness. And I'm, I'm not talking about the, the oops kind of sin, right? You, you slam your door, your, your finger in the door, and you're like, say a word, and you're like, oh, sorry, Lord, please forgive me, right? Oops, that's an oops sin. I'm talking about a willful disobedience, in our hearts. And when there's a willful disobedience, it can actually make us spiritually impotent. We're barren. We're unable to reproduce spiritually. And I can tell you this, the devil cannot take your salvation because salvation belongs to the Lord. But he would love he would love to stop the multiplication of God's people across the planet Earth where God is, is, is making a remnant for himself. He's calling forth a bride. And he would love to stop that. And so in Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, it says, let us lay aside every hindrance. And the sin that so easily ensnares us. And let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. 
Like, let's just throw off the stuff that is hindering us, the, the immaturity. Like, let's just get rid of the envy and the divisiveness and the strife and the laziness. We're going to throw off all that stuff, and we're going to say, you know, I just want to purely, sincerely follow Jesus. I, I just want to obey him. To seek him, to seek deep union with him. And to be really honest where there's pockets of sin in us, where we can just say to a trusted friend, like, I've been struggling with this, and I just need to bring this into light and tell you, like, please pray for me. I want to be done with it. And let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus. Um, A couple weeks ago, we had the... Uh, Acts 29 president, Matt Chandler, come and speak to us here at Houston, and it was awesome. He's, he's an amazing communicator, amazing leader, but he said something that really grabbed me, and it, and it resonated with me. Here's what he said. He was talking about um, he'd been meeting with a cohort of pastors, and they're kind of like, ah, oh, you know, this is happening in the culture, and that's happening, and this is really hard over here, and I don't know what we're going to do about this, right? And, and he's like, we're just kind of going on and on about all the, like, stuff. And he said, you know, it's a mess, and we're God's big plan. It ain't Augustine here right now. It's you. It's not St. Paul, it's us. And God's not nervous about that. He's not nervous about that. This is our moment for the church to be what the church was always meant to be. A multiplying movement of God. When he said that, it just so deeply resonated with me of like, oh, it's like Esther You've been placed here for such a time as this. Are you grieved by what you see? Sure. Guess what? God put you here right now for this season on planet Earth, meaning we're his plan. We're his plan A, B, C, D, all the way down. You're it. We're it. This is it. And he wants us to be used by him. And I absolutely believe if we will give ourselves to the same old play, the task of pouring our lives into another person to help them grow, to help them get that down into their heart, following Jesus, we will be We'll be so amazed at the multiplication movement. 6.4 quintillion, right? God can do this. It's amazing. So let me close with this. If you're a believer in here, I just want to remind you, Christ died for you to wash you clean. The Holy Spirit has sealed you. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. You're a new creation. You are a child of God. Don't let immaturity, lack of union with Christ, or sin hinder you from doing what God made you to do, to multiply. If you're not a believer here, Following Jesus is the most life-changing thing that's ever happened to me. 
that I was like a young man in the 20s. That was me, you know, about 25 years ago, living the empty way of life that was handed down to me from my forefathers, doing all the stuff that teenagers do, and thinking that, huh, I'm finally making it in life, only to find that my heart was so empty. And so if, if you've never heard about Jesus, he really did die for you to reunite you with the father that created you. He loves you and he wants so much for you to know him. And it's very simple. It's by surrendering ourselves to him. It's, it's placing faith in him as the, the resurrected Messiah, confessing our sins to him, letting him wash you clean and giving your life to him. If you do that today, you will be saved. And if you want to do that today, we want to we wanna help you do that. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Renaissance Church Sermon Podcast. To contact us or find out more information, visit rin-church.org.